0: So um, why did God make us male and female? Uh, It's a question I haven't really thought about a huge amount uh, until the last sort of few months. I'm doing a bit more work on it. Um, It feels like an obvious question, but one I've really not pondered. Does it really matter? We're going to go to the beginning again of the Bible to see that God answers with real clarity why we are male and female. Uh, And he gives clarity in a world which I think is really lacking it. Um, there's probably not many more relevant questions in our culture today, not many more controversial ones potentially to try and answer than those about men and women, about sex, about marriage. Um, there's been lots of talk around it in culture as research for this sermon. Um, honestly, it was research. Uh, me and Caroline watched Barbie last week. Uh, it's great. I can highly recommend it uh, as an entertainment experience and one which will leave you with lots of questions. It's full of contradictions. Um, it, it, I think it's deliberately full of contradictions I think Greta Gerwig's a genius filmmaker it's deliberately full of contradictions it invites questions about what it means to be male and female what it means to be human and it lets the, uh, the audience try and answer them themselves it's why um, you can read commentators on both sides you can read a, a staunch feminist go this is the greatest film ever and the same side goes, this is the worst film ever and the same uh, from other angles it's, it's worth a watch but it does leave you in the dark about what on earth to think Thankfully, those Christians, we don't believe God has left us in the dark. He's spoken clearly in his word. Uh, But it's worth acknowledging when it comes to topics like this, particularly that we do all come with some form of perspective. Um, We come maybe with some bias, you might say, to the questions that are raised. Um, I'm a man. Um, I'm a man who is married. Um, I was brought up in a home with Christian parents who affirmed that men and women are completely equal and yet have complementary and distinctive roles. So, so, my background, my sex, and my current circumstances will affect how I read into this topic. It'd be the same for you. Uh, that's not to say we're to read our own experience into Scripture, but it's just to acknowledge that we don't come neutral to this. Uh, and it's worth saying there will be real pain and confusion, maybe, with a topic like gender, sexuality, and marriage that we're in today. Uh, and I just want to acknowledge that at the start. There's brokenness for all of us in these questions. From Genesis 3 onwards, Helen's unpacked it brilliantly, we see how the fall, how sin has affected not just our relationship with God, but all of our thoughts, all of our attitudes and all of our actions. And whilst we live this side of heaven, whilst we believe the Holy Spirit is renewing our minds, is making us more and more like Jesus, we do still live in a broken world. So I'm going to try as hard as I can to be careful, maybe with how I phrase things. I always try and do that, but particularly with this, uh, as it's a particularly emotive topic. As elders, we'd love to chat afterwards if there are questions. We'll have space, as I said, in a few weeks for that book club for discussions as well. Uh, And we're also aware I'm kind of opening up conversation. 25 minutes, let's say 30, let's give myself an extra five minutes. But we can't do everything this afternoon and we're aware we're just skimming the surface. We're going to look more at this, Uh, the roles of men and women, for example, and husbands and wives when we come to our our series in Ephesians in April and May. Uh, we're going to do some preaching and teaching specifically more around sex and sexuality in January. But for now, I'm going to try and answer this question, which is raised right at the start here of Genesis. Why did God make us male and female? I think Genesis here gives us four clear reasons. Firstly, to image God. Genesis 1.26, it's our theme verse. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, it's quite striking when you think about it that in a book that's been given as part of Israel's founding, there isn't a hint here about ethnicity or nationality in the account of humanity's creation. Instead, right at the start, it's sexual difference that Genesis reveals as essential to what it means to be human. We're not just made as people. We're made male and we're made female. And both male and female are in God's image. Historically, and even today, the church may get this wrong. Our culture may get it wrong. We may get it wrong. Uh, the Bible is emphatic, and Christianity is unique in all world religions they are emphasising very clearly the equality of the sexes. Now, for us in this room, we're, we're, we're moderns. We're in the modern age. We don't really blink at that as a concept. But this would have been unheard of in the ancient world, particularly in Greco-Roman thinking. Men were superior to women, and sex was a way to prove it. Christianity threw out this model. And rather than being seen as in theory to men, women were seen as being made in God's image. This is Ray ortland I think he's put this brilliantly. Both male and female display the glory of God with equal brilliance. And maybe you need to hear that today. You were made, whether a man or a woman, to display the glory of God with equal brilliance. Now, that's not to say there is no difference between us. I think Genesis 1 and 2 makes it really clear we're, we're equal and alike, but also meaningfully different from each other and importantly different from any other kind of animal. You see, uh, throughout Genesis 1, we see pairs of different and complementary things were made to work together. We have heaven and earth, sea and land, even then we have God and humanity. And part of the brilliance of God's creation is that things which are diverse and different are made to unite. And create whole things, which generate more life and beauty in their relationships. Why is it important we're different? Well, we've already seen throughout this series, a a kind of key biblical principle that God made all of creation to communicate something about himself to us. He created the stars because of their beauty. Yes, because of some scientific function, I'm sure but also to show us something about him, his abundance in creation. He created sheep and lambs to eat the grass and to provide food for us to eat, but also to give us an image of how all humans are like sheep without a shepherd. God created humanity to live and delight in his world, but also to image him, to show him off. As we look at things today, we're in that kind of realm. As author Andrew Wilson says, sometimes this is really all about that. We'll unpack that a bit more because our our male and our femaleness images God. It is about that. It explains him in some ways. It shows him in some ways we think about our gender. God as father, son and spirit is both one God and yet three persons. All equal and yet distinct. They have different roles. They mutually submit to one another. Their relationship is marked by love and service. And so it is to be for us. As men and women made equal in God's image, it is also our differences which honour God as we work together to love and serve one another. We're made to complement each other, just as the Trinity was. So it images God, it's a good thing. But but how are we different? Well, maybe it's obvious, we are physically different. Adam and Eve, before before, were naked and felt no shame. They would have looked at each other and gone, We are different. We have bodies which are remarkably most features in common, but we do have different bodies, different chromosomes, different hormones, different genitalia. And the difference is important. Our bodies are different as men and women, but the problem comes, I think, quite often when these differences then become stereotypes. We say that this is what true masculinity looks like, or that is what real femininity looks like. Barbie film is an example of this. For conversations it raises we're interesting. The dangers of defining what a woman or a man is to look like and act like just because a few people in our society say so. Sometimes stereotypes are rooted in a form of truth, a level of truth. It might be true in some cases to say women are more like one thing or behave in a certain way whilst men like other things and behave in certain ways. For example, psychologists have proven that in general women tend to empathise more and men tend to systemize more. The author, Jem Wilkin, has written and taught a lot on this. She suggests that our general physical differences go some way to explaining our non-physical differences. For example, she says that the, the greater physical size and strength of most men in general, compared to most women, significantly shapes how we each view the world. She says that women are more likely to be aware of physical vulnerability in a way that men won't be. So women are more likely to be attuned and sympathetic towards vulnerability in others. It makes sense to say that the differences we see in, our, in men and women have their roots in our physical differences in our bodies, because our body and our soul and our spirit are deeply connected. But we must be aware that all stereotypes are just generalisations. Even if they're usually true, they're not always true. All girls do not need to like pink. All boys do not need to enjoy playing with cars. And the danger comes when generalisations come and we make them universals and then we make them guidelines. For parents, I'm I'm probably opening up a slight can of worms, but it may be a particular comfort to know this. We don't need to conform our children into a specific stereotype of what the UK in 2024 says it means to be a boy or a girl. Ed Drew's book uh, Raising Confidence Kids in a Confusing World is excellent on this. I'd highly recommend this um, as it deals with a lot of these questions. It's worth thinking about. So um, we image God through our differences. Now, I've been talking about gender, but I need to raise this question. What if I don't like my gender? As we think about how it is good and right that men and women are different, we need to say that God chose and made you exactly you. If you're a man or a woman, he chose to make you a man or a woman. He formed you. Our sex is something fixed and given to us. It's not something we imagine or we create. (coughs) Now, um, I'm aware this may be a painful reality for some of us in this room, either personally or with friends or family. It's worth saying that I've had a lot to do, a lot of thinking around this. There's some history within my wider family around this, and I'd happily chat more if that would help. But whatever the biological reality There are many people in our world who do feel this deep and profound sense of unease with their own biological sex. It's called gender dysphoria. It is real. And those who face it need support and sympathy. All of us are broken when it comes to our sex and our sexuality in some form, for we're all living in fallen bodies in a fallen world. But it's important, as people here in church, as parents especially, when it comes to speaking about these issues with our children, that we're clear on what the Bible says whilst we do listen really carefully to those struggling in this area. Our gender identity is not something we search for in our feelings. It's something we find in our body, apart from a very, very small percentage of people who are officially defined as intersex. It's one of the reasons our children and teenagers of this generation are in the biggest mental health crisis ever seen. They're being told they can be whoever they wanna be, whatever gender they wanna be, and it's incredibly unstable. God has formed us, moulded and shaped us deliberately. So we're not to define our gender by anything else than by looking at the bodies God has formed for us. Now, I'm really aware this is incredibly countercultural to say, but I think we need to say it. If you're a woman, he chose and delighted to make you a woman. Embrace the strengths and limitations of that. If you're a man, he chose and delighted to make you a man. Embrace the strengths and limitations of that. Let's continue to think through why God made us male and female. Secondly, he made us male and female because it's not good to be alone. Verse 18 of chapter 2. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed at the place with flesh. The equality of men and women is reinforced here. God made man first, but declares it's not good for him to be alone. So plans to make a helper fit for him. Now, helper for us in our language might sound a little bit demeaning, but in the rest of the Bible, this exact word is used typically to describe God himself. It cannot signal inferiority. We saw a few weeks ago with Sai, we were made like God to be in intimate, loving relationships. God has always existed that way, as Father, Son and Spirit. And he's made us in his image. Do you know we have a minister for loneliness in the UK? It's a genuine ministry. It's a man called Stuart Andrew at the moment. We should pray for him. Because there's a loneliness epidemic in our society. I think social media plays a big part in this. It's given us more connections, but no more depth. And maybe you feel as painfully yourself. You ache for deep friendships, maybe. If that is you, know that this doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It means there's something right with you. God says here it is not good for Adam to be alone. Amazingly, think about it. Adam had intimacy with God. He walked with him. He talked with him. And yet God saw that Adam still needed somebody else. The deepest problem in our world is sin, but the first problem was loneliness. We were all made for friendship. The joke goes that Jesus' greatest miracle is that he was a 30-year-old man with 12 close friends. But Jesus modelled this need for friendship, and he modelled how to be a friend. Genuine love, compassion, sacrifice. And he had emotional intimacy and friendship, not with his spouse, he was a single man, but with his friends, male and female. We live in a culture today where maybe it's far easier for someone to become isolated from their families, where loneliness is a huge problem. It's important for us as a church to pray and act on this, that nobody who is part of town church would be lonely. It's got to be a prayer for us, that we would go out of our way to include and care for one another in all ages, circumstances and stages of life. Because being human means we've been made for relationship, we're made for community. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone isn't good for any of us to be. So God made them male and female. Third reason, to be fruitful and multiply. Without male and female, the whole world would have been lonely because a purpose explained here in Genesis for us, being male and female, is to marry and have children, itty bitty children, as Mike Reeves told us in the video. God blessed them in verse 28 of chapter one and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, bluntly, we can only multiply when men and women come together in sexual union and have children. Most of our organs work by themselves, but our sexual organs cannot work without the organs of the opposite sex. Genesis 2 then says, That is why a man leaves his mother and father and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. It's because God made us male and female, we have marriage. We have sex and we have children. When these are separated from each other, as they are more and more, we then get into serious problems. So what is the point of sex? Is it just for having children? Our world is obsessed with sex, so I think it's really essential as Christians we can answer this question clearly. The writer of Genesis is at pains to make us understand that sex is a good part of God's good creation. The nakedness of Adam and Eve was not accompanied by any shame. And in their sinless existence, they did not need to be. And while sex, we see here, is mainly given for procreation, is also a wonderful gift to those who are married. The Bible has never been embarrassed about the joy of sex in marriage. At the heart of the Bible is the Song of Songs, a collection of erotic love poetry, which at one level is an unashamed celebration of sexual experiences and feelings of a man and a woman. God is a kind God. He's full of abundance. We've seen that in his creation. He loves to bring us joy. So he made sex and he made sexuality and he wants them to be rightly enjoyed and celebrated. Think about this. He he could have just given us a pill to deal with all our dietary needs, couldn't he? He really could have done. But he gave us taste buds and then wonderful, delicious meals to enjoy. He could have chosen to make multiplication entirely functional, but he didn't. He gave us the pleasure of sex to enjoy in marriage and to foster intimacy. Well, that's not all there is to be said. Sadly, sex is a good part of God's creation, but our experience of it is twisted and broken by the effects of sin. The curse God pronounced on Eve hints at this. In Genesis three sixteen. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. I think all women know the painful reality of this, of the pain which comes from a biological system linked with childbearing, menstruation, infertility, pregnancy, menopause. The curse here also hints at the disharmony between the sexes. It hints at power imbalances, inequality, abuse. And I know for some in this room, this is particularly raw to think about. I encourage you to come to God with your pain. Don't let it push you away from him. In our weakness, come to him. Jesus, who lived as a human on this earth and yet did not sin, who knew what it was like to live in this world. Now, another question then comes up. Am I not fully male or female then if I am not married and having sex? Because despite what our world says, sex and marriage are not necessary for a fulfilled life. Adam's problem was not specifically singleness. It was aloneness. And singleness throughout the Bible is not a negative choice in the Bible. Of course, Jesus. Jesus, our model for perfect humanity, was single and yet fully content. Jesus himself, he affirms the pattern of marriage scene in Genesis 2, but he chose not to take that path himself. He lived an unmarried, celibate life, but he was still fully human. He was still a sexual person with normal capacities and desires. I'm very aware that talking about singleness can be raw and difficult. It's painful if you long to be married. You could say a lot more, but let me briefly just say three things. Singleness is a gift. Paul speaks about it as a gift, as is Jesus, who says it is good for those to whom it has been given. Marriage is good, but so is singleness. It has been given to some. What if you don't think you have the gift? Does that mean you're experiencing life second best? No, when Paul speaks of singleness as a gift, he's not speaking about a special ability. He's not speaking about a superpower some people have to be contentedly single. He's speaking rather of the state of being single. For as long as you have it, that is the gift from God. Just as long as you're married, and if you are married, that is the gift you need to receive. This gift. The second thing, though, to say is that singleness is hard. Although the New Testament is positive about singleness, there's no doubt marriage is regarded as the norm. It is. One of God's loving gifts to humanity is the chief context in which our desire for intimacy is often met. There are different advantages and advantages to being married. There's different challenges and temptations to being single. It is hard and we need to be aware of that. Finally, here, singleness is not permanent. No Christian is single forever. I was reading Rose Clark on this. She would be a... Well she is a single celibate woman in her 50s. She said that, in some senses, she's really seen as a benefit, that she can experience the frustrations, understand specifically the longing and waiting which we all need to have for the return of Jesus, our bridegroom. Human relationships, human marriage, human sex, in many senses will disappoint. And ultimately, they're all just shadows pointing to the reality to come, is not permanent. And this is where we end. Why did God make us male and female? To image God, because it's not good to be alone, to be fruitful and multiply. I'm I'm going to hesitate to say primarily to give us a picture of the gospel. (coughs) This, as I said, this, gender, sex and marriage, is all about that. It's given to help us better understand the gospel story. Because the whole of the Bible is a love story. Throughout the Bible, we see God's relationship with his people described in romantic terms. Described as a marriage, a courtship, a betrothal. It's because we're made male and female we get these pictures. Then tragically, as sin enters the world, this then becomes pictures of betrayal, adultery and prostitution, ending in divorce before wonderful restoration. Marriage is meant to be a picture to all of us, single or married, of a committed, never broken, passionate relationship that provides a glimpse of how God feels about his people. Ultimately, the whole of our existence is building towards a wedding day again. A wedding between the church, the bride, and Jesus, the bridegroom, and towards a marriage that is permanent. Right at the end, in Revelation 21, we see this is how it described. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, John says. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for our husband. There's a brilliant moment at the start of the Barbie film. They're singing, they're dancing. Then Barbie stops and asks, do you guys ever think about dying? It's kind of a tumbleweed moment as we go back to business but for the christian we can think about dying with confidence we can look forward to the new creation with joy i was at a conference recently when someone profoundly said this i never thought of it like this we see our god-given identity most clearly when we consider what we will be in the new creation Let me say that again we see our god-given identity most clearly when we consider what we will be in the new creation because what is fundamental to our identity will survive. So what will survive about who we are in a new creation? Well, what won't survive is sin and suffering. We won't just not sin, we won't even be sinful. We'll not have any hint of temptation or discomfort or doubting of God's goodness. And any pain you feel now, maybe around your gender or your sexuality or your loneliness or broken relationships, will not remain in a new creation. The old order of things has passed away. They won't survive. But two more things which we think are fundamental to human existence won't survive. They're like shadows. Marriage and sex will not be the same. On this earth, God has things which act like film trailers. They give us a glimpse, a flavour, but they're not the main event. And Marriage and sex are in this bracket. Marriage is a picture a picture given which points towards the reality of Christ, who is the bridegroom, coming to get his bride. This is about that. Ephesians 5:31 32 says this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Jesus, when asked, makes it clear there'll be no marriage in the new creation. We won't be strangers, but there won't be a marriage-like relationship in heaven between humans. Me and Caroline will not be man and wife. It's not that there's no marriage in heaven. It's just that there's only one marriage in heaven. Christ married to his bride, the church. The Bible speaks of the day when the bridegroom will turn to take his bride, to be with him in the perfect new creation. And on that day, all pain will disappear. Including the pain of a difficult marriage or the pain of singleness. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and a great shout will be heard. Rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. We will all have the most incredible wedding day in heaven. This is why it's really important we keep the image right when it comes to human marriage it's why the debate in the church of england and the wider church about same-sex marriage really matters a marriage is between two distinct and different people men and women imaging god who is distinct and different in his trinitarian nature they're not interchangeable because otherwise the picture of the gospel does not work it's a picture of the bride and the bridegroom So we must stand up for this. We must contend for this. We must pray for the church, remain faithful to this. We must make sure here at Town Church we do that. You need to get the elders to account on that. We must stand firmly with this picture. Because how we are as men and women, how we are uh, in, in marriage is helping picture the gospel to ourselves and to the world. The part we play in living out the picture really matters. Men, it's why we're called to serve and lead our wives and families. Husbands, you know your calling is to lay down your life for your wife daily. Are you doing that? Are you serving her needs above your own? Picturing to her and helping all around see a picture of Christ's love for his church? Think on that. A man who's not married is still a man, of course. Christ was not married He's the model human and in his single life he lived out this same picture. The picture of self-sacrificial love. He showed tender care to those who are vulnerable and needy. All men can fulfill your God-given masculinity by following Christ's example. The picture is why wives are called to lovingly submit in marriage. Showing the picture of how the church is to submit to Christ. All women can fulfil their God-given femininity by demonstrating the response of faithful obedience and submission to Christ, seen in how they love and care for others. The picture really matters. So gender and marriage, as outlined in the Bible, matter. The roles outlined in the Bible are not arbitrary. uh, We are to consciously try and copy the relationship God intended for Christ and the church as we seek to image him, reflect him to the world that is watching on. It really matters. Sex is a shadow as well. Temporary human sex is designed to point us towards the intimacy and pleasure we will have with God for eternity. I read this earlier that the sex in this life will seem like a yawn in comparison to the delight and intimacy in the new creation in our marriage to Jesus. Sex, gender, marriage, they're all about the gospel. They're all about Jesus. These are all about that. So let's thank God for them. Let's stand confidently knowing the Bible has spoken into them. Let's hold firmly to the biblical realities held out in the Bible. We could just continue living for the shadows, for everything the world has to offer. But God is better and better and better. There is no comparison. God wins every time when it comes to the shadows. So if you're dissatisfied with this life in some ways, whether in your, in your gender, in your sexuality or your relationships, come to God. He's better a million times. He knows your pain. And he can't wait to bring you home. Remember, if you are trusting in Jesus, you are already united to him. You are one flesh. All that he has, his love, his power and his goodness is yours. All that we have, our sin, our shame, and our past is his. We have been united to him. Don't try and find joy in the pictures. Find it in the one who the pictures point towards. Jesus, our bridegroom. He made you. He longs to be with you for eternity. I can't wait for that day. Let me pray, and then I'm going to sing. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Father, we thank you that you made with precision, that you have formed each and every one of us in your hands. You've made us male or female to image you, to reflect you, to delight in you. Help us to keep working out what that means. Help us to keep reckoning what that looks like in Bister in 2024, to be godly in our masculinity and our femininity, to delight in the good gifts you've given us, but ultimately to delight in you, the ultimate gift given to us. Help us to find our joy not in the shadows, but in the sun. We praise you that you speak clearly, even when our world seems so very confused speaking to us clearly by your word we pray amen we're going to sing before the children come back in to him be the glory for all he has done praise to the father who gave us his son let's praise god for the lord jesus now